This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hulu has a new movie for horror and sci-fi fans. No One Will Save You follows the story of an anxious woman who discovers an alien intruder in her home. Okay, that's a good premise. She attempts to escape, but then the alien stalks her. Oh my gosh, we are talking about an interesting premise over here. The film is available on Disney Plus in Canada. Michael McNeely has thoughts on the film. Michael is live in studio, just a few feet away from me. Hey, good morning, Michael. 50 feet, that's five feet, I think that's better. <laughs> yeah, if you were stalking me, the restraining order uh, would not uh, apply to Studio 7. So, Michael, the, uh, the movie is gaining some praise for stylistic choices. What immediately stood out to you? Well, the central idea is that she doesn't really talk because she's by herself, so she wouldn't really have any reason to talk to anyone anyway. That's an interesting premise to hold an entire film because we usually used to have in dialogue or at least more than one character to talk to. But as we quickly learned, there's a reason why she doesn't talk, and the aliens probably don't want to talk to her either. So because there's a lack of dialogue, that means the movie is using a lot of visual and sound cues. I know for me as someone who is legally blind, I would find that really difficult. How was that experience for you from an accessibility perspective? Well, there's a descriptive audio track, but I haven't watched it or listened to it because I'm deaf, so I just relied on the subtitles. And it takes a while to get used to just paying attention to the, all the times that she sighs out loud. Um, it's just a, a weird dynamic because you're paying attention to that more than other things. So the question is, why is she sighing? Why is she stepping? What is she doing? What is the, what is the idea behind these things? You're trying to bring that home. You're trying to make it a point. Mm. But sometimes I had a hard time trying to find the point. Yeah, I can see how that would actually be a pretty exhausting experience to go through the entire movie, not on edge because of the plot, but on edge because you're just trying to follow along. Well, yes, I mean, the whole idea is that she's supposed to be quiet for the aliens in her in her house. So I want to know why she's sighing and how loud she's sighing. Because you can have a quiet sigh and you can have a loud sigh. You sure can. <laughs> so, Michael, the New York Times described the movie as a nail-biter. How intense did you find it? Remember the question again? The New York Times described the movie as a nail-biter. How intense did you find it? Oh, how intense. Why, well, I feel like I would like to, to reference The Quiet Place because I like that intensity better because they are not allowed to talk either because the aliens would kill them. But here, um, the intensity kind of wavered over a long period of time because I thought that the character was doing things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. If I was in that situation, for example, I would be very quiet. Mm. Um, I would try and make sure I understood, you know, what surfaces make different sounds. Like the carpet here, of course, this entire room is soundproof, so I would be happy to be here. But um, there's just things that, that, that I'm not sure that the character was paying attention to, and that kind of just makes me, you know, give up the game or mm. not be so invested in the game. 
there is a lot of film theory around what makes a great horror film. You've got your own rubric. You've got your own system of evaluating a horror movie. So you've identified four elements that make a scary movie successful. The first is good characterization. What did you think of the main character, Bryn? I thought the, the, the ideas were there for a good character. We discover that Bryn is Bryn because we, we watch her go to her mother's gravestone, and we see that the mother is the mother of Bryn, so we guess that's why she's Bryn. Um, and she has a lot of different characterizations. She's a dancer, she is she's a clothes designer, and she likes to work with miniatures. The miniatures actually becomes important later on, but the clothes design aspect, I was wishing there would be more to it, or more talking about it. Talking is, is, you know, the chosen word, because there's no talking, but at least what do you have to do with anything, or that kind of thing. So, I think it's good start as a character, but we need to we need to bring it back home. We need to keep talking about these issues, otherwise, why I mentioned them in the first place. Number two on the McNeely rubric of a good horror film is a cat and mouse dynamic. How did No One Will Save You do with the cat and mouse aspect of the film? I think I was interested, as I mentioned, for maybe the first 20 minutes of its hour and a half long one time. But ultimately, it just gets a little bit old after a while, once, you know, like if you and I were fighting each other for 90 minutes and it was a deadly game, you'd be like, why, why isn't this over yet? Um, I mean, to some aspect, it can work. But other times, you have to be careful because, you know, you have to raise the stakes, you have to lower the stakes, you have to do different things each time. I didn't see that happening here. I saw her more or less getting into the same fight over and over and over again. Mm. And then when she did, you know, defeat one alien, there was another alien. So I was like, oh my goodness, we have to do this then again. <laughs> yeah, th th there's a reason why boxing matches are 36 minutes and mixed martial arts fights are 25 minutes, because you can't just watch something like that for 90 minutes. It's going to get repetitive. Michael, you said another word there, which is also part of the McNeely rubric of a great horror film, stakes. The audience needs to know what's at stake, not what's on the plates, but what's at stake. How informed were you as a viewer in No One Will Save You? Again, the aliens are not really seen as a threat until later on, because we don't see the cataclysmic effect of their oppression and their invasion. And as a regard, it's easy to assume that maybe this is all Justin Prince had. It's not. I'm happy to say it's not. It's not really a spoiler to tell you that. But the I want to say, you know, for example, it's hard to watch a movie with just one person and to feel that it magnifies to the entire world. So I would have liked to see, you know, watching TV or something, seeing what's happening in New York City, seeing what's happening in other parts of the world, just to bring home that the aliens are here and they're invading. And there's a part where Bryn goes to her small town of Mill, Mill River. I enjoyed that, but it was only two minutes at most. And it was just a, a cursory look at what's happening to the townspeople, but I needed more of that, I think, to understand what's really going on. Number four in your evaluation of a good horror movie is, this is interesting, 
the film must have a clear understanding of its own plot. I'm gonna say that again. The film must have a clear understanding of its own plot, which by the way, I think that in and of itself is a very interesting observation. But what did you think of the overall storyline of the film? Well, this is the part where I tell everyone to, I had to look up the ending of this film on Reddit, which is not really a great look for anyone, oh including myself. Oh dear. But uh, the Reddit fanboys and you know some goes, but mostly fanboys and, and probably safe to say, they they helped me understand this film. But I just felt like, well, I mean, you could have done it a little bit better. You could have made it more clear when some of the sign posted was missing. Um, like, for example, some of my favorite movies are Alien, Aliens, Jaws, all those things. I, I know what's going on. I understand the dynamics. I understand the characters. I understand, you know, what, what, what a success looks like, what a win looks like. Just like you were talking about the blue chairs, they need to understand what a win looks like. Mm -hmm. But I understand what a win looks—in this movie, I don't understand what the win, what the win would look like. What does it mean if win— Fights, you know, two aliens, but there's still 500 other aliens left. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I just, I just give up, yeah. you know, at this yeah. point. No, Michael, I think that's really interesting for any film, not just horror films, but any genre of film, that the plot needs to make sense. You can't sit there as a viewer in the audience and be like, why on earth would that happen? Because what do they call that? Plot armor, plot conveniences, where there's simply a narrative device being utilized to bail a character out of a situation or to get you to point B, rather than a real action and reaction, maybe going back to the cat and mouse dynamic that you were talking about, which is something is forcing the character into making a decision to move the storyline forward. No, I mean, that's a great point, that maybe this film would have been better as 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But when you when you stretch it out, when you have so many unnecessary battles, it's just like, why are we doing this? We're just doing this just to have another fight. We're doing this just to fill out the time. Yeah, I agree with you that. No One Will Save You has garnered some pretty good praise from notable individuals. Stephen King has said nice things about it. You know, maybe one of the greatest horror writers ever. Guillermo del Toro, one of the finest, like, alternative directors in Hollywood, has offered it some praise. Where do you stand on the movie? Well, you know what? I love both of those men um, beyond any normal measure. Stephen King basically informed my childhood, yeah. starting with Carrie yeah. and The Shining, and Guillermo too. I hope he stays alive for a very long time. Um, they both have experiences with horror that I don't have. They both are nuanced and well-versed in all subgenres of horror. I think, just for my own personal taste and the taste that I share with the AMI community, I just prefer my horror films to be a little bit more two-sided than one-sided battles. Mm. And I prefer them to be more versed into psychological realism than having some sort of supernatural Lovecraftian element that can just be more yeah. dead. Yeah, uh, Michael, I am right there with you. I, I do wonder, I do wonder how much of maybe the feeling you have about this film is in that stylistic choice, that the stylistic choice might have appealed to Stephen King and Guillermo del Toro with sound cues and visual cues and doing something a little different with the premise, but much like how I struggle watching a film that's deeply subtitled, it's one of the reasons why I don't watch a lot of foreign films with subtitles, I tend to watch the dubbed version, it's, it's simply because it becomes an exhausting experience 
experience and I'm removed from the movie. So how am I going to enjoy something that I'm removed from? Well, I think the main thing is to go back to a quiet place look at that, because I think A Quiet Place is a successful film. Yeah. It has a disability element, which I'm really passionate about, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that I, I want cochlear implants to be used to cure all the aliens. <laughs> but it means that you have maybe five minutes of intensity, five minutes of intensity of crawling to the station watching for aliens. That's fun, that's intense. But it's just five minutes, and then afterwards, and move on to something different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, one last thought here before uh, before I say goodbye to you. You mentioned that you like perhaps the more psychological element of a horror film. I've been seeing the previews for the new Exorcist movie while I've been watching football. I can't really watch scary movies anymore, but I think I'm going to go to this one. It looks really good. So to be Debbie Down, but take a look at the reviews now. They're, um, they're oh, no. crushing it right now. Oh, no. So, I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Bursting my bubble. Thanks for that, Michael. I appreciate the pessimism on a Thursday morning. Michael, thank you for this. Have a great day. I mean, there's other horror films that you're going to, you're going to have. Um, I think we're going to do The Usher, The House of Usher on Netflix. So, I think you'll probably enjoy that one with Mike Flanagan. I think The, the Exorcist is just problematic because they're just cashing in something older and trying to... You know, we've talked about this. They're just spinning their wheels. Yeah, the, the new Saw movie's out as well. Uh, Saw 10 or Saw X or whatever it is is also out right now. So, yeah, there's no shortage of Halloween-themed stuff going on at the movie theaters. Michael, thanks for this. Have a great day. No problem. You too. That's entertainment critic Michael McNeely with a review of No One Will Save You. I turned to a camera that did not exist there. <laughs> Still working on the blocking around here. The film is available on Disney Plus in Canada, and it's rated PG-13. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael D. McNeely, at Michael D. McNeely and uh, McNeely is spelt M-C-N-E-E-L-Y. Coming up after the break, it's Fat Bear Week. Time to celebrate the finest bears Alaska has to offer. Alex Smythe will chat about this annual tradition in the roundtable conversation. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.